You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three, got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. We are here to bring you unique insights and stories from the BYU sports broadcasters who cover the Cougars and from the Cougars themselves. I've been out on the road getting stories from the schools BYU will play in football this season. It's part of a new podcast that will debut this fall. It's an exciting endeavor that I can't wait to share with you. We'll make a big to-do about it on social media in August and also in September. In the meantime, this week's Behind the Mic will feature Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. The hosts from BYU Sports Nation look back at the 1981 BYU basketball season, arguably the greatest basketball team in the Cougars' history. They made it all the way to the Elite Eight. Let's turn it over to the guys. This is the only trip to the Elite Eight. Now, other teams have come close, right? Uh, Jimmer Fredette and Jackson Emery and company in 2011 losing overtime to Florida. That would have been the second ever. In 51-66, and 66, BYU won the NIT. They chose to play the NIT and not the NCAA tournament. They won those tournaments. Perhaps they would have been in this, but this is a 48-team tournament. The top 16 teams get buys. BYU is not one of them. They are a sixth seed that goes to the NCAA tournament. Uh, third place in the WAC, which is a fun fact. BYU's greatest team ever didn't even win the league. Utah and Wyoming tied for the WAC championship. They were a game ahead, and both are top 20 teams going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Pretty wild. And Utah, I mean, Tom Chambers, Pace Mannion, Danny Vrains, they were loaded. Yeah. Loaded. And Wyoming had uh, three NBA guys, Charles Bradley, Bill Garnett, no relation to Kevin, and Chris Angler. And don't forget, San Diego State was good, too. They had Michael Cage, who played in the NBA, and a uh, uh, fast point guard by the name of Tony Gwynn. Yes, that Tony Gwynn. Exactly. The Tony Gwynn that you interviewed he, when he was the coach of San Diego State Baseball. He played basketball as well. Uh, BYU uh, leads the league in scoring. They're ranked as high as 15th. They played 10 teams that season that were ranked in the top 20 of the AP poll going into the tournament. That's So amazing. not at the time, but that were actually good. Yes, so they played 10 teams, but more importantly, Jerem, they beat five of those teams that finished in the top 20. Yes, and two of those come in the NCAA tournament, two top 10 wins. How about that? You mentioned Danny Ainge. He was one of six NBA draft picks from this BYU roster. Eventually. Like, you, uh, you have to go all the way out to 85. Um, and this roster is loaded as well, which is super fun. Of course, you have Fred Roberts and you have Greg Kite. Those guys play in the NBA They're for stuck a, in the league. a long time. Yes. You have Steve Craig, who is uh, Marie Osmond's husband. Not once, but twice, right? He's the, he's the two guard or the point guard with Danny in here. You have Timo Sarlainen, who ends up being the WAC player of the year when he's a senior. He's that, a freshman. Yeah, on he was team. down the bench. Right. Yeah, he's down the bench. Uh, so this was, this was a tremendous, tremendous BYU team. The greatest ever. All right, we've talked about the overall resume, BYU beats five teams that finish in the top 20, but which of those wins would qualify as the best? Because as you just noted, Jerem, BYU beats two top 10 teams in the NCAA tournament back-to-back to get to that Elite Eight, 10th-ranked UCLA and number 7 Notre Dame, so they take down a three-seed essentially and then upset a two-seed. Beating UCLA... Beating is the appropriate verb there because the Bruins were absolutely destroyed by BYU. A 23-point win for the Cougars in the Sweet 16. Yes, I think Notre Dame's the best win, but UCLA should be in the convo. BYU wins this by 23 in Rhode Island in the second round. The Cougars had ended the regular season by beating Utah. More on that in a moment. That was a top-20 matchup in the Merritt Center. 
and a record crowd. BYU goes to the NCAA tournament, beats Princeton, then plays three-seed UCLA, blows them out as the six-seed. Danny Ainge has 37 points. Then BYU beats Notre Dame. Then BYU loses to Virginia, who ends up losing in the Final Four. So this was a heck of a run. What a shot by Ainge, by the way. Hey, how about the little uh, dipsy-doo, the up and under? Yeah, Danny Ainge with 37 on 14 of 22 shooting in that game. Four rebounds, four assists. So while BYU beating Notre Dame is the best win, it produces just the shot from Danny Ainge. The best performance overall of the season was the 23-point win against UCLA. I think so. And then let's talk about Utah. That's the regular season finale. There's no conference tournament at this point. BYU is ranked 18th, and Utah is ranked 9th. It's senior night. Yes. So Mark Pope talks about, hey, the 2020, that amazing senior night taking down number two ranked Gonzaga. BYU had a top 20 showdown on senior night in 1981. Should we tell them or not? (laughs) There's a Marriott Center record crowd of 23,108 in this game. That's going to stand forever because they've they've brought the uh, attendance down to 19,000. BYU trailed by double figures in this game. They win by 19 points. And and that this was a Utah team that was going to win the league and be a higher seed than BYU. Wyoming and Utah do not move past where BYU went. BYU ends up being the best team in the WAC despite taking third place. So the Utah game, Princeton, UCLA, Notre Dame, three of those wins in four games is really good. What a run. Three top ten wins in four games. I mean, that is impressive stuff. Yeah, what a run. And here's why it's better than 2011, Spencer. In 2011, BYU was a three seed, and it was awesome. But BYU played a 14-seed Wofford. BYU earned the right to play a bad team. But then St. John's was the 6-seed, got upset by 11-seed Gonzaga. So BYU plays a 14 and an 11, and then loses to a 2. That run does, pales in comparison to BYU being a 6, beating an 11, beating a 3, and beating a 2. That's why this team is better than 2011. Okay, so best win, beat Notre Dame, the 2-seed, a top-10 team. You get to the Elite Eight. Best overall performance... 23-point win over UCLA. And then it's just a senior night of all seniors. A senior night that would compare to what BYU did against Gonzaga. Yes, uh, you're beating a top-10 team at home. I don't think that and it's your there was rival. a court storm. That's be- Well, Gonzaga yeah, is, that's what I'm is And right? it's your rival. That, let's not tell them because it might be as good or better. <laughs> In front of a record crowd. Let's not tell them. The biggest no crowd one tell them. that will ever gather. In the Marriott Center, 23,100. Well, and it's Danny Ainge's finale. There's going to be finale. some Devo that has more. Danny Ainge's <laughs> finale. Oh, incredible. Okay, the season MVP, yeah, it's a no-brainer. It's Danny Ainge. Yeah, it's Danny Ainge. He won two National Player of the Year awards. You mentioned Ralph Sampson, uh, who, uh, ironically enough, BYU faced in the Elite Eight and lost to Virginia. But Danny Ainge is the season MVP. No doubt. In the biggest games, he there's, showed up. There's he, that shot again. He just doesn't get enough credit for how athletic he was. Oh, well, let's talk about it. So he had played the previous two years, right, sophomore, junior year. He had played with the Blue Jays, not in the minors, in the majors while he's at BYU. He had signed a $300,000 uh, you know, signing bonus and, and contract. So he's a big deal. He's this great NCAA basketball player. Of course, he makes this shot against Notre Dame. He also sets a record with 112 straight games of double figures. That's an NCAA record at the time. When he leaves BYU, he's not only the all-time leading scorer, he leads in assists and steals. He's also the all-time leading scorer in the WAC. Danny Ainge was unbelievable as a basketball player, but also as a baseball player. He didn't even play baseball at BYU because he's in the stinking majors, man. 
He does it all without a three-point line, too. If there was a three-point line, Tyler Haas and Jim Fredette don't, pa- don't ever pass him, in my opinion. I don't think they do. Let's tip off our second segment with some high-heat, Jerem, our reviewables hot takes. And I'll start. Maybe this isn't so hot, but upon further review, I think that 1980-81, not just for BYU basketball, but for BYU athletics as a whole, was the greatest year ever in athletics history. I agree with you. 1981, men's golf wins the national championship. Awesome. I like those. 1980-81, BYU football wins their first ever bowl game, and it's the Miracle Bowl, no less, with Jim McMahon connecting with Clay Brown on a Hail Mary after they trailed by 20 points with under four minutes to play against SMU. Who would have thought that that play and Danny Ainge Notre Dame happened in the same sports year? That is September to April or May. That's the same sports year. It's unbelievable. Are you kidding me? Then BYU basketball makes the Elite Eight run, not to mention BYU baseball under Coach Tuckett at the time was also amazing. Two years later, they're number one in the country at one point in the season, not to mention Steve Young shows up in football. Where's the DeLorean? Can we go back to 1980 to 1985? No, no, because we'd mess it up. We'd, 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 you know, all of a sudden we got the picture of the team and people were disappearing. No. We yeah. can't do that. Yeah. Don't do it. And then your mom has a crush on you. Yeah, that's always weird, right? <laughs> it's like the weirdest thing about Back to the Future. I agree with you. The 80-81, that sports year, is the best in BYU history. What's, what's For those three reasons. No, no one can challenge that. I mean, there are other seasons who have had significant things. I think men's golf helps push it over the top as well. The fact that you got a national championship in another sport. That's amazing. Okay. This is this is high heat, but I don't. I think we all agree. Maybe some people don't. This is the greatest team in BYU, BYU basketball history. But Jim or Jerem? Now, if you're on the 51 NIT champs, maybe you feel like, wait, we were just as good in our day against our competition. Same with the 66 NIT champs. They had a Hall of Fame coach. Yes, they did. Stan Watts, who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. But this team, it's not just that it's the Elite Eight and Danny Ainge. It's that it's Fred Roberts, that it's Greg Kite, that it's Timo Saarlainen, who's the WAC Player of the Year in 85 and later as well. And it's the resume, well. Jerem. And it's the resume. Yes, who they beat in the regular season and who they beat, in the, more importantly, the postseason. The 79-80 team was a better team in the regular season. They finish higher. They win the WAC. Uh, then they are a three seed. They're a higher seed. But... They play in Ogden, and they don't beat Clemson after a bye, and so we don't talk about them. But they had Alan Taylor, who was a double-double guy. They had Devin Durant, who becomes a top-five scorer in BYU history and plays in the NBA as well. But this team, 80-81, is defined by the run they made in the NCAA tournament, going to Rhode Island, uh, Providence, that is, and beating Princeton and UCLA, then going to Atlanta and beating Notre Dame and losing to Virginia. And Danny Ainge and all the accolades. And Ainge is playing for the Blue Jays as well, by the way. I mean, this is the greatest basketball team in BYU history. And like I said in the previous segment, 2011 uh, tries to hold a candle to this team, but their resume says we beat a 14 and an 11 seed. It just doesn't stand. If if BYU had beaten Florida, the two seed, I think we start to compare these two teams because perhaps we go modern era, maybe it's harder for a team like BYU to do this or something. But the 2011 team, to me, is in the conversation for the second-best team and probably is the second-best Yeah, the 2011 team had some quality wins as well. San Diego State was a no top-10 team. Awesome. BYU beat them twice. Yeah, BYU had regular season victories akin to that as well. It's what this team did in the postseason. And there have been some amazing BYU football teams. 
when when the 96 team goes and beats Kansas State, a top 20 team in the Cotton Bowl, it cements and validates that this was a all-time team. And sometimes you don't have to do that. For example, 84 football beats Michigan. Michigan was 6-5. and five. That was no big deal. But they were undefeated. They didn't have a blemish. They are the greatest team in BYU football history, perhaps, because they're a national champ. So I'm about to draw a parallel here that may bring a tear to my eye. This oh my 1980-81 BYU basketball show? team. No, but I've been close a couple Oh, okay. Of here we go. 1980-81 BYU basketball as a six seed, riding high after an emotional rivalry win on a crazy capacity-filled uh, senior night for Danny Ainge and some other notable players. They take this momentum and go into the NCAA tournament as a six seed and go all the way to the Elite Eight. 2019-2020 BYU basketball beats Gonzaga. Emotional senior night, capacity crowd. They're going to be a six seed, I think. Yes, Lenardi hasn't has been as a six. And we, a lot of national punts are like, this BYU basketball team had enough shooting, enough leadership, enough star power that they could have made in the Elite Eight run. <laughs> it's so sad. COVID-19 eliminates BYU 2019-2020 basketball. They were the Virginia pandemic. Yeah, if you will. Yeah, okay. Let's okay, not cry. Let's seed. move on. I'm always about the six seed. Six man. seed. Let's go. Six seed. 80-81 plays into that. That's yeah. for sure. Okay. Uh, on to our Jackson Emery Award. The second the best player. second best player on this BYU basketball team. To me, this is clear. It's Fred Roberts. He averaged almost 19 a game, shot 58% from the field, eight boards a game. He's all whack. In the NCAA tournament, four games, 75 points, 43 boards, 17 assists. Wow. The next year, he's a junior. The next year, he is, uh, you know, one of the best players in the WAC, 27th pick overall. Um, he was a guy that played in the NBA for a long time, played with the Celtics and Lakers, among others. Fred Roberts was legit, man, and we will talk to him coming up. It's it's time that we give some some time and credit to the the second best player, right? So yeah. that's why we have the Jackson Emery Award. Let's go, yeah. Fred Roberts, who scored 33 points in an NBA playoff game against Isaiah Thomas and the Detroit Pistons. Dennis Rodman was guarding him for a lot of that game. I mean that that is underrated as well. Yeah, so he he ends up being the second leading scorer when he leaves school. I mean he he's an all timer here as well. All right, look forward to that interview with Fred Roberts, the second leading scorer in BYU history at the time when he left. And now for our High Motor Guy Award, Jerem. <laughs> I love that we have this. Who gets the High Motor It's Greg Balif. Greg Balif. He's a junior. He's lefty. He's averaging 4.7 points per game. He's a guy that comes in and makes some free throws, has, uh, has the steal I mentioned that led to that haircut was amazing for Greg. <laughs> He ends up giving BYU the lead that Notre Dame then takes back before Danny Ainge makes the shot. Why yes. is Greg Balaf shooting that shot? You have the National Player of the Year. But Greg Balaf, he didn't care. He's going in, baby. High motor. It's Greg Balaf. Yes, I'm glad you pointed that out. When we come back, Spencer and Jerem interview one of the members of the magical 80-81 season, Fred Roberts. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan are hosting this episode looking back on the 1980-81 basketball season. And their special guest for this segment is former Cougar forward Fred Roberts. Fred, welcome. When I say 1980-81 BYU basketball, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, man, first thing, well, it's got to be the Notre Dame game because that's what's been played over and over through the years. Uh, and then I go right to... Uh, the uh, the entire NCAA, into NCAA tournament, which was 
just a ton of fun. Uh, it was exciting. And our whole team, uh, it was just a fun overall. I, even though we, uh, I know we had to, every season you have the lulls and you have some bad weeks, but uh, I do not remember 81 that way. I remember it just as a good year, a good team. Guys got together and we felt like we could go out and win any game we played. And that, that, those are the things I remember. It's the greatest team in BYU history, and we'll dive into that, and that's why we're doing the show. But I want to go back to 79 and 80. We've, we've looked at the team before the team, and you guys perhaps were more talented with Alan Taylor, a double-double guy as a senior, and a sophomore Devin Durant before he goes on a mission. That's why he's not on the 80-81 team. Was that team more talented? I think uh... – Gosh, maybe not at that moment, but if we, if Devin had come back the next year and been the kind of player that he is, uh, there, no question, we're more talented. Plus, then, then you have Trumbull coming off the bench, you got Kite coming off the bench. Uh, um, you know, Big Al, he, he had a great year. He had a great senior year. He stepped it up. He came back. Uh, that's 79 80, I think, is what you're talking about. Uh, he came back strong, healthy, lean. Uh, he was kind of a uh, big, big guy for us that year, and uh, I don't know. Maybe Devin and I were too young to really have a belief, but we did win the whack, and then but we I, we ran into a tough team with Clemson. I think that was we ran into a hot team, Clemson. They came out; they had nothing to lose. They had good players. They started six ten, six ten, six eleven. Whoa! And yeah, they were. You know, Larry Nance was on that team. Uh, this Horace White kid, 6'11", six, six and uh, the big Campbell kid in the post. And I can't remember who their guards were, but, man, they, they wore us out. So that 79-80 BYU team is a three seed going into the NCAA tournament, ranked number 12. As you mentioned, you were the WAC champions, and you had a bye in the first round before you took on Clemson. Because of the result in 1979-80, losing to Clemson, how did that factor into the way you approached the NCAA tournament run the next season when you make it all the way to the Elite Eight? Well, we kind of had the opposite of what Clemson had the year before, um, where we didn't have the – that buy-in thing sometimes can be hurtful. I think it was for us up in Ogden. We're, Clemson had played a game. They were feeling good about themselves. They were uh, prepared. I, I, I don't know. Just they, they'd already been in the pool – and when you're sitting there and you're play, waiting for somebody to, that's already playing, it, it kind of it sometimes works against you. And I think that's what happened. We went back east where people didn't expect us to do anything. We were kind of out of the uh, publicity because of ending, finishing third in the whack. They sent us back east. And so that pressure was off us. And, uh, but it was exciting because we were back east and we were in a good pool. And I think we snuck up on UCLA. Princeton, maybe not so much, but that was, that was just a game. But then we come up and we'd already played the game. We're going against UCLA. And we caught them sleeping. I think they looked at a bunch of big white guys and they said, they are not going to run with us. And, <laughs> and we ran with them. And uh, it was, That game was over pretty quick. Beating UCLA by 23 anytime, no matter how good, bad UCLA is, this is three-seed UCLA. This is a top-ten team in the country. How did you guys uh, smack UCLA down so well in that game? Well, 
you know, for one, I don't know why we weren't, uh, I don't know, UCLA, I grew up, people in my generation grew up watching UCLA win their Nancy 2A championships every year. Had a great, I had, had a great respect and love for the UCLA teams and I just excited, I cheered for them. And then we're gonna play them. And there was a couple of guys I had, I had played against in summer leagues. And I think that helps. You know, because you're familiar with them, you're not. I'm not going in. I don't. I didn't know. You go in. Normally, you go in and you don't know anything about these guys other than what you read in the paper. But I knew some of these guys because I played with them in the summer league, and I thought, oh, we played with these guys. And and then the biggest thing probably was Ainge just went crazy that game. He, uh, I think, he saw that it was his chance, his time to to really go crazy and he was he and he got hot because uh, he was letting he was shooting everything just like we throw the ball in in a half court and he'd pull up it would have, would have been a three-pointer but we didn't have three pointers in dribble down he'd pull up one on three nail it he'd come down and do it again and he just i think he had 37 points that game yeah and that just uh you know we we just ran those guys to death and then they couldn't uh they couldn't break our size. We had, like the year before against Clemson, we couldn't break down their size, and Juice Lake couldn't break down our size. We, they had a bunch of six, 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 seven guys, and we just zoned them, and they couldn't shoot, and we just rushed. I talked to Mark Eaton about that, and Mark Eaton was sitting on the end of the bench. Didn't I think he played maybe a total of twelve minutes that year with UCLA. And he says, he says, yeah, that game was so frustrating. He said, I looking out there, all you big guys, and we're trying to go small, didn't work. <laughs> yeah, that, that certainly didn't. Losing by twenty three, UCLA. Uh, but then you earn the opportunity to play Notre Dame, and so I mean, no rest for uh, the weary. If you're BYU basketball, you got to turn around and and take on Notre Dame, which is a team that's loaded with talent, including Kelly Trapuca and Orlando Woolridge, John Paxson. So why were you able to go toe-to-toe with Notre Dame shortly after beating UCLA by 23? Well, at that point, we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. And we, you know, and also throughout the season, it wasn't like we, we were pretty well prepared because the WAC was great. There was some really good players and good teams. And so we go into uh, UCLA and Notre Dame, we felt like we could play. Uh, and that Notre Dame team, they did. They, they, the difference between them and uh, UCLA is that they had shooters. They had Tripuka just could just flat out shoot. Paxson could shoot. They had size. They had a Tracy Jackson, uh, who was uh, all conference, or I don't even know if they were in conference then, but I, I remember playing against him. He's a great player. And so I think we just felt like we just had a, there was a good uh, synergy with the with the players with the guys the coach coach Arnold prepared us really well for those games he uh, we came in with game plan and we trusted the game plan we trusted in each other uh, I just that was uh, I don't I don't even look at it like it was intimidating because it just felt exciting and thrilling and to be there and be in Atlanta uh, going up against these guys. And uh, unfortunately for me, I the, what I do remember mostly about for me uh, that UCLA game is uh, 
I had uh, I got foul trouble pretty early. I had, I had three offensive fouls. <laughs> Two of them were on jump shots. <laughs> but, well, it's not going to be good for me. So you what you watched? Uh, didn't you foul out? I think you fouled out with one forty four to go or something. So you watched the the game winning greatest play in BYU history uh, from the sideline. That's exactly right. I was on the bench directly across parallel with the basket. And I think we talked about this before, but uh, what I thought was interesting, four or five plays before that, Ainge goes in almost the same shot, and Orlando Woolridge goes up, he blocks the shot, goaltending, and so they get a shot, and then that play happens again, and uh, Orlando goes up, and you can see him, he's kind of short, short arms it. And Orlando, he can block anything. He's <laughs> so good, right? All time. Fred Roberts with us on. We are 1980-81 BYU basketball reviewable special uh, right in the midst of it. Um, you mentioned how good the WAC was that year. Wyoming and Utah were a couple of teams that finished the, the season ranked. And you played in front of a Marriott Center record crowd, 23,106 fans when BYU beat then ninth-ranked Utah to close out the regular season. What was that experience like when you trailed the Utes by double digits but then end up blowing them out of the water? That game I do remember and was so much fun. Um, <laughs> we start that game, and of course the fans, That was the I think that was the first time they started uh, when the other team, the opposing team was – being introduced, they had the newspapers out and the re- or newspapers <laughs> playing. Paying no attention to that. We thought that was pretty cool. And they're screaming at home for us. And I think we started the game out, it was either 10, 10 to 0 or 10 to 2 for Utah. And they came down, they hit their first shot, five shots. You no know, bank of bank, uh, anyway. He, they were hit from outside. Brains and chambers were dunking. They're just killing us. And, um, and that thing turned around, and next thing you know, <laughs> we get on those guys, and uh, we just put it on them. You end up being uh, after great fun. Yeah, what? And that is still the most attended game in the Marriott Center to this day, which is pretty cool. So you end up I guess uh, it will be forever because they changed the Marriott Center, right? Right. It probably will be forever. That's a great point. Uh, you become, uh, you know, after the next season, uh, the 27th pick in the draft, you play in the NBA. You're teammates with a lot of great guys, notably Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. You have 33 points in a game, uh, you know, in, in the playoffs. What, what do you recall from uh, what was a very fruitful and long NBA career? You know, I just, I really can look back and think I remember just having, I loved playing. I loved playing. I loved competing. I loved my teammates. Uh, all except for one team. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> things got a little weird at uh, the last couple of years of my career. Uh, players and teams were just so different. These young guys coming in. I remember when I came in the league, they, somebody told me, he said, we need to keep young guys so we can have good hard practices, so we can have some energy and focus. And uh, and then at, toward the end of my career, somebody told me, he says, we got to keep you old, guys, so we can have some good hard practices. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan, and Fred Roberts. Download and subscribe to Behind the Mic wherever you find podcasts or listen to all episodes on the BYU Radio app. Behind the Mic is a production of BYU Radio.